I pray, Lord, that you would now show us what the next five years would look like, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, that you would reveal our next steps. I love you, Lord. We love you. We're grateful for all that you've done for us. This morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, let's do this so we can get there. John 8, 23 and 24 says this. And this is Jesus speaking. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. He's speaking to religious leaders. And he's really, he's pressing in. He's testing. He's calling people to task. And what he's telling them is, listen, folks, you are stuck. You are stuck where you are. You're stuck in in this world and you're missing everything. For you, life is only about this. Only about the worldly things. Only about what you can see. But there's, but there's more. And he says that, that, that you're from this place because you choose to be only from this place. But Jesus is saying that I am from a different place. Jesus is from a place that is sacred and holy. And it's different and it's separate. People, these people that he's speaking to, they live just in the physical. And they're paying attention to only the physical things that are around them. That's what's important to them. I'm hot. Now I'm cold. I'm hungry. I've eaten. Now I'm full. I want the new clothes. I want this. I want to be comfortable. I want more sleep. I'm tired. All they're doing is paying attention to their physical needs. The here and the now. But Jesus is not of this world. Yes, he is in it, but he is not of it. He is not of the world. And What is important to the people that Jesus is speaking to in that text holds no weight or any importance to him. Because he sees beyond that. He's from a different place. He has different priorities. He looks at things through different eyes. He sees things differently. And then he lays it all out there for him. He tells him, you're going to die in your sins. Jesus never was one to pull punches or water down his message. You're going to die in your sins. You've got God right here in front of you and you don't even see it. You've got God right here in front of you and all you're interested in is religion. Here, here I am and all you're interested in religion and you live like you've got this all under control, like you've got it all figured out, that you know what you're doing, that you can pull this all off and God is just a little extra seasoning that you add to life. And that attitude is going to get you dead. That's what Jesus is telling them. You are going to die in your sins. You're so concerned about following the rules of your religion that you cannot even see salvation that is standing right in front of you. And it's not going to end well for you. You can find yourself dead. Eternally dead. You know, Jesus is not teaching 
anything new here. God has been trying to get this point across forever. Throughout the history of people. God has been trying to let us know, it's not about you. It's not about what you can do for me. It's not about all you following the, all the bells and the whistles and making sure that you follow the rules because you can't. It's always been about me. It's always not about me, but about God. It's always been about what God can do for his people. It's always been about what God wants to do for his people. And if we can muster anything and do anything that, that accomplishes anything that has kingdom consequences, then guess what? It's only God working through us that does that. It's never been about us. It's always been about him. And guess what? You are invited into that relationship. You are invited into God's work and God's redemption and God's salvation. You are invited into that very truth. What Jesus is speaking to these people is nothing new. So now picture this. This is a series on David. <laughs> okay, we're getting there. David has just, he's just taken over Jerusalem. He's claimed it for his own. He's calling it the city of David. And he's king now over a unified people of God. He has brought all the tribes together. But for David, it's not enough just to be king. It's not enough for him just to have a little city there and it's all looking good. And he's got all God's people there. It's not enough just for him to be king because what's important to David is the presence of the Lord his God with him and with his people. That's what matters most to him. He wants God with him and with his kingship and in his kingdom and with his people and the symbol of the presence of the Lord for the entire nation, the symbol of the presence of the Lord is the Ark of the Covenant. That was the symbol for all. Uh, it, it, the Ark was a, a box that they, they covered with gold, and they made this gold lid for it. It has cherubim on the top, and inside, and, and Moses, got the, Moses got the blueprints right from, right from God himself. And so Moses puts this thing together, and inside are three things. There are the Ten Commandments, there's a jar of manna, and there is Aaron's rod that would bud. Now, this stick just, just grew buds on it. And this is, this is the symbol of the presence of God. This is the symbol of God's character and God's nature for his people. One that God commands because he gave them the Ten Commandments. The other one is the manna that God would provide for his people. And then Aaron's rod is the symbol of God's salvation, that he would save his people. The ark is this reminder. It's a sacred symbol of the living God that he is intimately involved in humanity. All of humanity, whether people want to recognize it or not, that he's loving and he's blessing and he's saving and he's preserving and he's sanctifying and he commands. This is, this is who God is. It's the character and nature of who he is. And he's, he's given this symbol to his people. And they're his people. They're his covenant people. And yes, they are thick-headed and obstinate and they're idolaters. They're like, they're like sinners. They're, they're, sometimes they get all yucky on them, but yet he still loves them and they're his people. They're his covenant people. And this is what the ark represents to them. Now, contrary to Indiana Jones, the ark didn't have any magical powers. It wasn't going to melt people's face off if you lifted the lid. 
At least not the ark anyway. It didn't have, it didn't possess any special mojo. It wasn't a source of good luck or bad luck. In fact, if you read the Old Testament prophets, they rail against that mentality with Israel. Because it's God who this represents. This is just a symbol. It's not some, it's not some collectible. It's not an antique. It's not a piece of memorabilia. It's a symbol of the reality of the living God. That he is involved with his people, he's involved in humanity, and he's always commanding, and he's always providing, and he's always saving. It's who the Lord is to the Israelites. Now, I guess the closest thing that we would have for us as a, as a modern-day church would be the sacraments that we take part in. Things like the, the symbol of, of baptism. Hey, keep it down. The symbol of, of baptism. The, baptism is this, this beautiful, sacred thing that, that we, we celebrate where somebody has, has received Jesus Christ into their heart and Christ is transforming them and renewing them and healing them and sanctifying them. And we want to celebrate God's work that's taking place in them. So we bring them to a body of water because it's what Jesus showed us. And we, we take them and we dunk them under, which is symbolic of, of, the, of a dying to a life that's... that's separate from God. And then we raise them and we say, you've been raised to new life. It's the symbol of, of raising to a life with God. And so underneath, it's, it's dying to that uh, separate separation from God and being raised into a new life with him. And when we, when we dedicate babies, we dedicate them, we acknowledge the living God and how he is alive and well, not only in the world, not only in, in people's lives, but in, and just in, in families. And we acknowledge his providence and his sovereignty over the family. And we ask him to bless this child. And communion, communion is something that we just, we celebrate not to just remember what Jesus did, but we do it to celebrate what Jesus continually does, to become aware of who Christ is and how he's still active and well in the world today. Jesus, Jesus just didn't, he didn't save, but he is saving. He's saving people all the time. He hasn't just redeemed, he's redeeming all of the time and he's transforming people. And that's what we do as we celebrate communion. And so the ark... The ark was very important for David because it was, it was those types of symbols, those sacred, holy symbols that, that just showed who God was. And so he wants to get it to Jerusalem. Now, the ark up until this point in chapter 6 of, of 2 Samuel, the ark has been sitting at this dude's house uh, called Abinadab. And Abinadab's a priest, and he's got a few sons, and his sons are kind of kind of taking care of it for him. And David is going to gather up 30,000 of his closest friends, and he's going to head out there, and he's going to have a nice parade, and he's going to bring this ark to Jerusalem. And so we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, verses 1, where we're going to go 1 through 7. So um, I'm going to read it from my Bible, and James, if you would just pop those along as we go. David again brought together all the young men of Israel, 30,000. And all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up, bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord God Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it, to the, brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Yuza and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. 
David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, tim- timbrels, sistrums, cymbals, no guitars. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because, he was irrever- because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Um, as I kind of read these seven verses, to me, it seems a little harsh. It seems it seems just like it seems a little harsh to me what God has done. Like the, the ark is on this cart and, and they're going along. You got 30,000 people just like whooping it up. And, and the ark is going to, you know, the ox cart, you know, there's a little wiggle. And it looks like the ark is going to fall. It's made of gold and it's got to be pretty heavy. I would think the wings of the cherubim might fall off and it hits the ground. Usually he reaches out and he just wants to steady it. And he touches the ark and God kills him right there. I love the, I love the, New King, or the King James because it says, he smote him. It just sounds a lot worse than killed. Like, like maybe when he fell, smoke rose from her. I don't know. It's like, but he, he got dead really quick. Now, this story for you should cause you a little bit of tension. Okay, it should make you feel just a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, come on, we, we, we don't like to think about this, this kind of God. This is not the God we want to focus on. We don't like to read about him th- this way. We don't like to, th- I mean, I don't know about you, but the God who loves me is the God who likes to redeem. And, and the God who cares and supplies all my needs. Not the bang your dead God, but just, just the, the God who loves me. The God who desires that we all get it and none would perish. That's, I, I don't know about you, but that's the God who loves me. The God who loves me is the one that sent Jesus into the world. That, that, that if I believe in him, would have everlasting life. Because he so loved the world. That's the God who, that's the God that fits nicely into my life. I'm comfortable with that God. I walk well with him. But this one, no, this one, not so much. This one, this one freaks me out a little bit. All the dude does is reach out, touch the ark, because he doesn't want it to fall, and God kills him. Now, you may be thinking, oh, silly Dennis. This is the Old Testament crabby old man in the white beard God. See, we like, we like, the, we like the New Testament God with Jesus, and he's got the long hair, and he uses product, and he's got the well-trimmed beard, piercing blue eyes, and he wears white in the desert, and it never gets dirty. That's, that's the God that we, and I would say, okay, I'm with you on that. But have you ever read the book of Acts chapter five, a sweet young couple named Ananias and Sapphira, they, they bring the, they bring the, the, the stuff, the money, they sold some land and they say, yo man, did you lie? And they're like, oh no, we didn't lie. And they die. Boom. God kills him. Now what's interesting to me in this whole thing is we don't have a lot of detail. Like, okay, in, in, the, in the Acts chapter 5 story, they got killed for lying. But as I think of it, if God was in the business of killing people for lying, we wouldn't have much of a picnic today. And, and, y'all, and I wouldn't be a pastor. And so we just, we just kind of know that they lied and boom. And then Yuza here, he's just trying to help out. But it says that he was irreverent. 
And that's why God killed him. And so there's not a lot that we have to go on. But so what we have to do is when, when the Bible leaves us this story and it just doesn't fill in all the holes for us, it doesn't fill in all the gaps, we have to put ourselves in that story. The Bible invites us into those places, invites us into the story. But it, you have to, I want to caution you, you have to do it with integrity to the word, with integrity to the, the full counsel of what the Bible says. Now, theologians have been wrestling with this story ever since we've had theologians. And they're trying to figure out why would God do such a thing? Why would God kill this dude who just didn't want the ark to fall off? And it seems the common thread in the why question is because Yuza tried to take charge of God. He tried to control, to take charge of him. And I'm going to tell you, and this is free, I won't charge you for this one. If you try to control God, you might end up dead. It's not going to end well. And so this is what they believe is going on here. I mean, Yuza, he literally has, he thinks he has God in a box. That's, and, and, and so he's been with this box for so many years, and he believes he has God in the box, and he sees fit that it's his job to keep, to keep God from, from possibly falling into the mud and getting dirty in the dirt, or worse, that, that, that the ark would fall over and break. See, he wants to make sure that God in the box doesn't get all icky from the world around him. And, you know, and as I was thinking about this, we, we see this all of the time, even in modern day church worlds. I mean, I mean, think about it. You got people that go to church. They've been, they've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. And, so, and, and they've, been, they've been there forever. And I hope someday I could say, I've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. And you know I'm going to say it just like that too. And, and so, but but they've, been, they've been doing it for a long time. But they started at a young age. And they come into the church and, and God gets a hold of them. And Jesus Christ just begins to seep into their heart. And, and things start to change for them, right? And then they, then they start going to discipleship classes. And they, and they do well in the discipleship classes. And then they kind of move on to evangelism classes and, and they're doing really well. I mean, they can evangelize an ice cube to an Eskimo. And I have no idea if that makes any sense, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And so they're doing well and they're killing these classes. And, and, and all of a sudden they start, they start to serve. I mean, I mean talking, I'm talking realistic, heart change, life change situations. And these people begin to serve in the church and, and they just, they just give of themselves in the church. And then, and then they, they become leaders in the church. And they, they start to lead. And then and, and these, these, these men and these women, they've engaged the Lord their God. And they've watched him change their lives. And they've just, they've just grown leaps and bounds in the Lord. And he's, he's freed them from things. And he's made them whole in their life. He's redeemed them. And then for some of them, not all of them, for some of them, something happens. Something snaps. The wires get crossed. And there's a short circuit. And, 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 and then something goes wrong. It begins very, very subtly. And they begin to tell people what they should be doing. They begin, they begin to tell people what they need to be doing. They should all over them. That was should with the D. I would never say that word in church. I would, but not this morning. And they tell them how to live their lives, what they need to be doing. 
in the context of God. God in the box. Religion. And, and then all of a sudden they seem to have graduated. Because then they, then they get... Then they put this badge on them. It fits nicely right here. I've seen them before. They wear them. It's the Holy Spirit badge. And they believe that they've become the Holy Spirit. And they know best. They know God best. They've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. And so they know best. But something doesn't feel right. And see, when they get the Holy Spirit badge on them, they, they get extra bossy. And then they get crabby. Do you ever meet the crabby Christian who knows what you should be doing? And you're doing it all wrong? And follow me as I follow Christ? No. And, and, and things just have, have, have gone really wrong. And somehow in their life, where they, where they found this, this Jesus life, an abundant life, filled with forgiveness and love, it begins to be darkened by this religious God-in-the-box pride. And, and it just... And they start to tell people, you need to do it this way. You need to be doing this. I know better. I have the Holy Spirit badge. I have figured this out. I have arrived. And they begin to take charge of who God is. And they begin to try to control other people's experience of God. And they put him all nice and he fits nice and tidy in a box. And they only let him out when they see fit to let him out. Have you ever met anyone like that? And they begin to try to do what only the Lord our God can do. See, I believe that Yuza's mistake was years in the making. See, it wasn't the action that actually got him killed. It was the heart that he had behind the action that, that, that got him killed. You see, first of all, he knows. His dad's a priest. He's a priest. He knows you do not carry the Ark of the Covenants on a cart. Moses got the blueprints. You use, you use poles and they go through the rings on the side. You don't put it on a cart. Priests carry the Ark of the Covenant. And yeah, maybe it's a little slower and maybe it's a little more cumbersome, but that's what God commands. And so he decides that he's just going to use the newest technology of the day and he's going to throw it on a cart and this is going to be much better. I bet you he wasn't even going to buy the iPhone 5C because he's a weenie that way. And, and so you got to wait till the next number. That, I'm just saying. And so he puts it on this cart. See, I, I have to believe that he has believed. He has taken care of this for so many years. He has taken care of, of the religious aspect of God for so many years. He feels he's now in charge of the Lord. And he knows better. He knows how this works out. He has been the religious guru for all of these years. Nobody should question him. He's got this. His first poor choice was to put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And then the problem that he really runs into is you don't get to manage or control God. You don't get to manage God. You don't get to put him in the box. No matter how much you think you might have him in the box, he's never in the box. You don't get to dole him, dole him out like, you, like you, you know, oh, you deserve a little God today. You, not so much. You messed up last week. And we'll give a little bit back. That's, that's not our job. That's called religion. That's called God in a box. And the danger of religion is it teaches people to box up God nice and tidy. 
and, and we put them inside there and we keep them, we keep them safe. And, it's, and, and, and once you get him inside, it's your job to make sure nothing, nothing dirty gets near him. Not all those potty mouth sinners who talk with those, you know, those words. And, and, and you want to keep them away from those other people who do those types of things. That's, that's not who God is. We don't know better. Use the thought he knew better. And people who wear that Holy Spirit badge think they know better. You see, I believe truly that Yuza's death was years in the making. I would say that he was dead long before he ever hit the ground that day. Because he thought he can control God. He thought he had it all figured out. And so the dude dies. Boom. Smote. Whatever smote looks like. And David freaks out. He's like, he's got 30,000 of his closest buds. And they're partying. This is a big deal. This is a parade. And David sees this. He's like, I'm out. I'm done. God, I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. And David leaves. He leaves the ark right there. And I can imagine he's pouting. He's all like, just like, really, God? I mean, I'm doing this all for you. And now this is the way, this is the way you thank me? And I'm sure, he, you know, for three months, David pouted. Three months. And then he hears, he hears news that where he left the ark, some dude's house, like, things are going really well over there for him. So he goes, oh, maybe it's time to go back and get the ark. And we're going to pick up the story now in chapter, I'm sorry, in um, chapter 6, but verse 12. I'll read from my Bible. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. And everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps. You see, right there we have a difference. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord. David is now on course. There's not an ox cart, but David's going back to the way God has commanded when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I'm thinking this is going to be a long day. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Okay, those are his underwear. Just want to let you know. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark before the Lord with shouts and with the sounds of trumpets, the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, and Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in, the place, in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the crowd in the whole crowd of, of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of slave girls, of his servants, and as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, 
I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Uzzah died, and David danced. Uzzah died. David danced. I mean, he is busting out. He got down to his underwear. I will tell you this, if any of you dance before the Lord in your underwear, you will be escorted gently out of here. <laughs> it's just, we don't, we don't play that way. Yuza died. David danced. You see, God for him was, was something much different, someone much different than for Yuza. He was, he was God. David lived a hard life in the wilderness, being hunted down, on the run. He had to kill for, for food. He had to hunt in the desert. He had to probably eat berries. He lived in caves. He was on the run, on the move, all of the time. Like, like always living in danger. Like lions and tigers and bears are my danger. And, and this is the way David would live. He had to go to war. He had 400 men at one point, and then 600 men. And he would fight the Philistines and the Amalekites. And these weren't, his men weren't the happiest-go-lucky men around. They were all the, the dregs kind of of society, the crabby ones. These were David's men. David lived a very different existence from Yuza. He had nothing except what the Lord his God would give to him. And so for David, he could not manage God. He did not control God. He was cared for by God. And David knew that. David knew that the Lord his God had given him everything. Every day, every breath, every step, every victory, every meal came from the Lord his God. He did not control him. He did not manage him. The Lord took care of David. And so David had to trust and David had to pray. And David had to worship. And it wasn't out of some religious duty. It was because that he knew that that was the only way that he was going to get through this. It was the only way that he was going to, to live. And so David was taken care of by God. Not trying to take care of God. And you know what else I, I really like about the story is um, David doesn't tiptoe around God. Like, Yuza dies. David's like, I'm out. I'm done. And, and the text with the story will tell us that he became, he became afraid, which I can understand that. But then it says that he was angry. He got angry with God and he left. And he went back home and that's where he stayed. And he left the ark right there. Parade over. 30,000 my buds. Let's go. We're out of here. But even in his fear and even in his anger, David would treat God as, as God. Not as something he can control or manage or figure out. I would, I would, I would have to think that Yuza would never have gotten angry the way David did at the Lord. I think he was, I believed he was way too proper way too controlling. I believe, I believe that Yuza was way too religious to ever be open and honest before the Lord. David danced. David 
danced. His relationship was, the, was, was everything. It was his life. His relationship with, with the Lord was his life. It was everything, every single moment. And he could not, he knew he could not control a thing. And, and at that point, he could not even control his own joy before the Lord. And he would dance. He was beside himself with joy and excitement. And he wasn't doing it so he would perform some religious duty. He wasn't, he wasn't doing it because he had to or he thought this was the right thing to do. I mean, if that was the case, he would have been walking a very slow, solemn, ooze march with, you know, with God in the box mentality. David danced. He had a vibrant relationship with God. And, and, and even in that joy, even in that craziness, even that, that undignified manner, there was something very sacred and holy about it. As I thought about him dancing, I started to ask myself questions of, of how many people go to church every Sunday because it's what you do. It's, it's your duty. It's what you're supposed to do. How many, and, and then I, I even pushed it a little bit farther. And I said, how many, I thought, how many people go to church because in some wacky way, it's their way of trying to control or manage God. Like they think, I, I, I need to go to church. Because if I don't go to church, then, well, then God is not going to hear my prayers. And if God doesn't hear my prayers because I'm not in church, well, then, then obviously I'm not going to get what I want, and he's going to be mad at me. And so I better go just so God can see me. So if I'm there, he's going to see me singing. And then when, when Dennis is talking, I'll put on my serious, I'm listening to my sermon face. You know that, you know, some of you have that. And, and I, as I look out and I see that, I think you're disagreeing with me and I'm getting ready to delete your email tomorrow morning. But, but you know, you got, your, you got your serious sermon face on and God sees that. And so if I'm there and God's, you know, I'll lift my hand every once in a while, maybe clap off time, but I'm still trying because God looks at the heart in worship and, not, and, not, and, 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 and he'll see me and then I'll get the things that I want. Let me just tell you this, trying to manipulate God it doesn't end well. In fact, you can wind up getting dead. I'm just throwing it out there. Trying to control God never ends well. But to worship from the heart, from the heart, from a place of joy and excitement about what he's doing in your life, about what he's doing in your communities, in your schools, in your family, to be excited about what the Lord is doing and to worship from that place, that begins to take the focus off of us, off of me, off of what I want, off of what I can try to control, and it puts it where I'm the person who is in control, and that's him. Worship takes it off of us and puts it back onto him. Joining the community with the community and praying and worshiping is, is the way we release that and we give it back to the one who deserves it and is worthy of it. David danced. And worship is that deliberate attentiveness to God. But even then, I think we really have to be careful 
Because if, if your worship is just about getting here on a Sunday morning, and this is where we're going to worship, and this is, this is where I worship, and this is where I pray, and, and I'm grateful that you're here doing this, but this can't be enough. Because if you want to box in God to a time and a place on a Sunday morning from 10.15 to 11.30, it's almost, you're in danger of trying to control him once again. Your life has to be a life of worship and joy before the Lord. It's not just a Sunday morning gig. It's an every morning gig and every afternoon, every evening. David busted loose because why? It wasn't, he wasn't performing for anyone. In fact, his own wife was like, really, dude? Really? Underwear? Nice. <laughs> and he's like, I don't care. I don't care. I will become more undignified before the Lord. Because worshiping and joy was part of his life. And the question we land on this morning is this. Are you living your life as a life of wholehearted, heart-engaged, joyful worship? Or are you just maintaining a religious posture? Uzzah died. David danced. What will become of you? Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that we can look at David and see you in the story. Lord, I want to thank you for the celebration we're about to embark on this afternoon. Thank you for the sunshine and the cool weather. Thank you for the grace that you have. I pray the, the hamburgers are medium well and the hot dogs are perfect. We love you, Lord. And we gather in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you in a little bit. Woohoo!